my name is Tyke Spaulding. I'm with Dr. Hackett's Forbidden History class, uh, and I'm sitting here with uh, my co-host and best friend. Jack Siebenhaller. Yes, Jack Siebenhaller. Um, so our topic uh, today is pretty fun, pretty upbeat, and pretty riveting. It is uh, uh, religious relations in America. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to touch on uh, the early historical stuff, um, kind of as it's grown, what kind of religions have been uh, targeted, for lack of a better term. But really what we're going to get into, um, and this is more for Jack and I's uh, mental health and uh, also due to its relevance, is um, more modern day uh, fights for religious liberty in the United States. So with that... um, You know, we're going to begin by kind of talking about early American history, just to give us an idea of what we're dealing with. So, um, you know, when we talk about the founding fathers, uh, Jack, um, what kind of was the vibe, do you say, religious wise with the founding fathers? Well, I think it's interesting specifically about the founding fathers is that we kind of have this idea that the founding fathers were all like your average wasp, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, when a lot of them had some very interesting Christian ideas that would be different by today's standards. And like by the midpoint of the 18th and 19th century, they would most definitely been persecuted for them. Specifically speaking, we have like Thomas Jefferson being, um, what was it? The pantheist, not pantheist. Uh, a deist. Yeah, a deist. Um, and kind of setting the roots for the quote unquote Christian Universalist Church, which has now just become the Universalist Church, really, which is a non denominational religious organization that's um, really supportive of all walks of like Christianity in general, or not Christianity, just religion in general. Yeah, and and I think it's particularly interesting that you bring up like the whole uh, you know they would be persecuted um, because right after uh, the founding of the country, we have um, one of the defining movements in uh, the religious history, not only of America but of the world, which is the uh, Great Awakening. Um, you know, the, the Great Awakening is such a massive explosion. You know, taking place um, in the early. Uh, 19th century. Um, And it was really, really an explosion of um, different Protestant faiths. Uh, And we'll get into, um, you know, the idea of the Protestant faiths growing, how the relationship was going with that. But um, in regards to that, I think it's important to remember that essential U.S. states like Pennsylvania were founded by religious uh, Outcasts like the Quakers, yeah. Um, Quakerism is insanely interesting. Exactly. I mean, and it it really speaks to the the diversity of uh, Protestant religions and Christianity in general. Um, But at this time, you know, uh, we had stuff about you know uh, Jewish uh, early Jewish Americans coming to the country, um, different types of Protestants, Anglicans. 
uh, Anabaptists, um, and, and some of the biggest controversies in early uh, colonial America regard religion. Jack, is there one that we can think of? Um, what, you, what did you specifically say about that? Uh, I mean, I, I, just just you know some of the early controversies that we like are still learning about in American history classes. Um, I, I can think of one. I think so. I'm going to probably hop into my area that I really enjoy talking about and researching right now of um, that goes beyond Christianity yeah. and colonial America is actually Islam in American history. Mm-hmm. And so just so everyone knows, my focus area in history is North Africa and the Middle East mm-hmm. and specifically religious studies of Islam and Christianity. But... I think what's really interesting is that there's reports of Islam existing in the United States prior to the founding of even Protestantism Hmm. due to the fact that um, a lot of the um, people that came from Spain and founded parts that are like, you know, colonized parts of the United States or the modern day United States um, were African and Arab Muslims who, you know, would be designated with the term that Europeans would put on them called the Moors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were, there was a religious diversity in the United States way before even the founding of the country and before, you know, the Catholic church had splintered. And so with that, um, you know, really the question kind of arises is why wasn't that, um, difference in religion kind of, why, why aren't we seeing that difference in religion today? And I think that one of the, the main reasons for that is the people who were coming in that had significant influence and power, um, that represented those, uh, you know, deceptively diverse empires, the Spanish and the Portuguese empires, um, they were primary, the the people who had the most power in those situations were primarily Catholic Christians. Would you say that that's kind of accurate? I I would. And I, to add on to a point of that, you know, both of us would identify to be some degree of Christian, I would say. So this is coming from a, like this point is coming from two people who are, you know, actively within that realm of belief. However, Christianity and Catholicism has been a tool of power by not only just European countries, but also countries that have made contact with Europeans in general. Mm. Um, the One of the things that we talked about in my class of African history is the conversion of the country of the Congo. Mm-hmm. Um, when they contact the Portuguese for the first time um, to Catholicism as it was a tool of like power and able to gain better control over like the country's finances and curate relationships with the Pope and stuff like that. So I think like that is an important thing that Catholicism and Christianity after it splinters into Protestant like denominations is a power-based religion in politics. So I think that is why you would see less of a diversity is because the people at the top are using it as a power tool. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that really speaks to the, the hierarchical nature of the, the middle part of the Catholic history, Catholic history. Um, The religious weight that the Pope had to throw around was exponentially high. I mean, kind of bonkers. Yeah. You look at Henry the third, um, in England, just for an example, who literally walked in the snow, 
barefoot mm-hmm. to the Pope's uh, residence to beg um, for a reversal yeah. on his excommunication. So, you know, if, if you have a king doing that, then it kind of goes to show just how influential um, the church was, both monetarily, militarily, and ideologically. But to that point, um, you know, that, that, that goes into it that, like— the American religious experience is is rather unique. It is a mm-hmm. it is a religious identity born out of Protestantism, um, and kind of a immediate rejection of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So um, when we look at American early American religious history, and not just the founding of the country, going further back, um, you look at figures like Anne Hutchinson. Uh, where that spirit that brought Puritans um, over, that brought Quakers over to seek religious freedom um, for themselves, mind you, uh, is kind of is kind of extended um, even to a more microcosm area where you see the splintering among these fleeing groups. Uh, Anne Hutchinson is a great example of this with the Anabaptist movements. Um, and how- also, I would mention Anabaptism in general is a, or yeah, Anabaptism in general is a really like weird religious sect in general mm-hmm. with how much they're hated by the rest of the Protestant denominations when the Protestant Ref- Reformation was happening. Yeah. So like that in itself is already a persecuted group among persecuted like Christian groups. Yeah, exactly. And and it, and it kind of comes from one of my favorite um, uh, kind of FUs in history, um, which is uh you know, Anne Hutchinson's uh, response to a lot of the Puritans um, who were putting her on trial. Uh, she began it by talking about, um, you know, uh, this is my duty to have, because she's getting uh, on trial because she's um, accused of harboring religious dissidents and encouraging rebellion. That's the thing that they charged her with. Um, so she starts her uh, kind of defense by, you know, saying this is the expectation for women in Puritan society. What, you don't want me to have people in my house? Is that something that is now against the law? And then um, when she's further pushed and pushed, uh, she kind of throws her hands up and she tells them, um, you know, I know who's going to heaven and who isn't because God is talking to me. And if you know anything about Puritanism, um, it kind of derives from Calvinism with the idea of predestination where you are either you are born either going to heaven or going to hell and there's nothing you can do uh, to change that. If you have a person um, who's able to talk to God and figure out who is and isn't going to hell, um, that's a problem for the people in power. So, you know, I have my sneaking suspicions that Anne Hutchinson was kind of over the trial mm-hmm. and in order to immediately just get her herself out of that situation she was like yeah i know who's going to hell and who isn't so um you mr person who is putting me on trial you are definitely going to hell and if you're a puritan person if you're a puritan leader um whose whole uh reputation is bent on your relationship to the bible and somebody is saying that in a public trial it's going to be an immediate no she needs to get out of here like she's done um so the whole Anna Hutchinson movement um, is kind of indicative 
of the power relationship that a lot of American religious history is bent on. You have a majority group who oftentimes claims um, persecution, claims fear of being suppressed, doing the suppressing of other religious groups. And that's going to take us into, um, you know, the founding fathers and really the dominant uh, religious conflict of early American history, um, which is the 1840s, the influx of Irish uh, Catholic immigrants and um, the relationship between the Know Nothing Party. So, Jack, uh, with that, you know, I think that that idea kind of gets dominated that it's a Catholic issue. Do we have any information about uh, Muslim immigrations into the area during that time? Well, yes, we do. So, yeah. um, it's important to also mention the period of the 1840s and 1800s in general, the other big problem in the United States of slavery. Mm. Um, it is thought to be anywhere from 10 to 20% of slaves brought in during the colonial period from Africa were Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that is on plantations. It is a common thought that a lot of them had traditional, like it's a Eurocentric and like American centric idea that they were practicing like voodoo and witchcraft on plantations which is complete plantation era propaganda. They were exposed. If, if you think Africans weren't exposed to the, you know, religious Abrahamic religions at, by the point of the 1700s, you do not have a full comprehension of world history. Yeah. And to be completely honest with you, the North African and sub-Saharan African trade was at full effect. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, that Islam was in the U S in the plantations and the, um, it was a common thing among plantation owners to justify their slave owning to convert them to Christianity as it was a net good, even though every most major Christian beliefs were like, slavery is not okay mm. it is not okay to own things islam outlaws the trade of other muslims as well um so it's important to keep that in mind that islam was being suppressed in the u.s for centuries at this point so um it's a little hard to get information about you know that specific period as it is kind of dominated by you know yeah that but um in in the 1800s in 1893 you have the first islamic mission in the united states called the american muslim propagation movement so there is muslims trying to spread their faith in the country and most immigrants into the region and after the civil war also landed in so do you know where they landed like where they're immigrating to the united states and where they came from uh or not what came from where they landed in the united states mm -hmm. where they landed uh, i'm guessing either angel island or ellis island and then moving outward from in there. the u.s a lot of them settled in ohio mm. michigan and iowa <laughs> Mm. So, yes, we all know the three bastions of Islam yeah, in the United, United States. States. The Ohio, the Ohio Muslim community is, I mean, if, if, if we were to believe what a lot of modern day conservatives say, there is active Sharia law in Cincinnati as we speak. So, but 
So that is something to keep in mind that there it is not an only Christian nation by this mm-hmm. point, and it never was an only Christian nation, no matter what people might want you to believe. Exactly. And so Ty, you can continue talking about the yeah. Irish heritage yourself. Um yeah, I am I am proudly Irish. I mean, you only need to look at my name. You can um, see his hair. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um anyway, uh you know, the the anti-Irish discrimination that really had the anti-Catholic discrimination, I should say, that really occurred um, in the 1840s and 50s um, was pretty virulent. Uh, and it's a pretty long lasting um, sense of, uh, you know, discrimination um, and prejudice. Uh you know, a lot of the Irish that came in were fleeing from the potato famine taking place between 1846 and 1847 or 1848. And, well, it ended in eight, but, you know, 1849, we'll say that. We'll, we'll be safe. Um, a million Irish uh, died um, and a million and a half estimated fleed to America and Canada. Um so that's a huge influx of people to a country that was, you know, you need to remember at this point, relatively small um, compared to today population wise. So that's a huge influx of immigrants coming into the United States. Um, the people coming in were almost always poor, um, had trouble. Uh, some even had trouble speaking English. Irish was being suppressed at this time, but it was still pretty popular in rural settings. Um, and you had a ton of, uh, Catholicism. I mean, the Irish were virulently Catholic. Um, and at one point, uh, a majority of, uh, Catholic bishops and Catholic, um, parishioners were Irish in America. Um, so from that, uh, there arose a fear of papism and, uh, papism is the idea that Catholics are not what Catholic Americans are not loyal to America. They are loyal to the Pope and the Pope only. Um, and thus they were incapable of, you know, fully being an American citizen. Uh, now, this kind of was disproved um, with the Civil War. Uh, you know, a large amount of Catholics, especially Irish Catholics, participated in the Civil War. There are specific brigades set up for Irish immigrants in the Civil War. Um, but owing to that, uh, you know, a lot of discrimination with government, a lot of propaganda, a lot of gang fighting. You only need to look at the Five Points Gang in New York. Um, an yeah. awesome movie. Yeah, there's an awesome movie with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, Shouts out to Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, absolutely. Daniel Day-Lewis is a heavy hitter when it comes to historical stuff, whether it's Lincoln or whether it's Bill the Butcher and Gangs of New York. That's the name of the movie, but um, definitely check it out if you if you have the opportunity. It is awesome it rocks and it tells a it tells a piece of american history that's not really talked about um the u.s in the 1840s besides the civil war is still a mess yeah like it is one of the messiest collection of states possibly in the modern history it oh, was yeah. a 
mess. And and really, you know, this is the dawning of American industrialization. A lot of Irish immigrants worked in factories. Worked On in that the North. same point, a lot of is our followers of Islam also worked in factories. One of the first places that they were able to get jobs, them and former slaves, was the Ford plants. And later, after the Civil War, they were able to work in the Ford plants. Um, so I like there's a comparison between like the treatment of the Irish Catholics yeah. and the um, it, Islamic followers following the Civil War. And really, you know, this is the through line. Um, the people who are committing the oppression against these religious minorities are traditionally white Anglo-Saxon Protestants or wasps. Jack mentioned them earlier. Um, you know, uh, this anti-Catholic kind of idea was paralleled, interestingly, by an odd openness to Judaism in the United States. Um, Jewish immigrants to the United States, typically from Germany, um, you know, the revolutions of 1848 and uh, Europe pushed a lot of immigration, especially from Germans who moved typically to the Midwest. Um, there was a idea among white Anglo-Saxons that Jewish immigrants were the ideal immigrants, um, you know, hardworking, uh, able to fall in line, um, you know, industrious. Uh, so contradictory to how Europeans have viewed Jews yes. throughout the entire their history where Jew, Jewish, like anti-Jewish sentiment really was born out of the fact that they did not want to fall in line with other like standards of living that was not of the Jewish communities. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it, it just they are one of the most resistant groups to changing their culture. And it, it really just shows like how inconsistent a lot of the the, you know, religious hatred from the wasps was. Um, and moving into that, uh, the next wave of immigration really showed um, that inconsistency uh it was a, it was again relating it back it was a it was a power thing yeah they viewed catholicism as a threat to anglo or like protestant beliefs mm. um as you know those i mean they split off from each other but um it, it definitely feels like they view them as a much more problematic for their own identity while at least at the time jewish culture and jewish the jewish religion is a very hard thing to convert to it's not something that you just say i'm jewish now yeah you have to work your way into the church and prove that you are that so it's not a judaism is not a evangelical religion it no. is a like this is the group that we're doing our stuff with. It's an inverted religion. It's difficult to get into it. Um, you know, and then that, that moves into the 1890s and, eight, and uh, you know, 1890s to the 1920s with the largest wave of immigration in American history, um, primarily from the Mediterranean Um and from Eastern Europe. So, Jack, do you have anything about kind of because it was the Mediterranean area, south, southern Italy, northern Italy as well, but primarily southern Italy with uh, Sicily involved as well. Is there um, an influx of Islamic Americans? Yes. Um, a lot. One of the longest standing and oldest like 
communities of Islamic followers it comes from Bosnian Muslims in Chicago, Illinois. Um, and uh, they are called the Bosniaks. Um, and it, uh, it, this is the longest lasting incorporated Muslim community in the United States is what the article says. Um, they met in Bosnian coffee houses and eventually opened the first Islamic Sunday school with curriculum and textbooks under Bosnian scholar. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to read a Bosnian name. It's, it, I, I don't have the yeah, ability. I don't want to mention it. Bosnian. So. <laughs> uh, the Bosnian's angry at you. Big Bosnian audience out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But um, following this, there are groups of Middle East and um, uh, Arab populations and Mediterranean, other Mediterranean populations moving to the United States um, and like mosques start popping up in Dearborn, Michigan. And which now Dearborn, Michigan is still the largest Arab American population in the United States. Um, and so they, it just like all the other groups, America became like the light for every person in the world that they wanted to flood to it, like a, like a moth to try to get a part of. Yeah. Um, and we, we look at like the, the discrimination of these groups. And at this point, Jack, would you say that Islam on the discrimination radar, if we're, if we're going to craft a new machine that says which groups are more discriminated against, how, how heavy on the radar compared to Jewish Americans and Orthodox Americans? It's, it's a tough question to answer because just blatantly, going to be honest islam is never liked by americans Mm. um however um there are points where it gets less poorly treated but it's still you have to remember that like the um the eurocentric culture that all of american culture stems from came from the place where they thought islam was a threat to their being or like to their to the nations of Europe, you know, um, and so like I pulled up a like I pulled up a little document here, and it's talking about the religious freedoms through history of Islam in the United States. In 1776, John Adams publishes things calling the prophet Muhammad as a sober inquirer after truth. So that is one of the founding fathers accepted it. George Washington said that he'd willing to hire them uh, to work at Mount Vernon. Um, in 1790, South Carolina legislative body granted special legal legal status to Moroccans mm-hmm. and specifically Islamic Moroccans. Um, so this like weird relationship with Islam in the United States is like they go through periods where they're extremely hated, specifically now is and like post 9-11 is by far the biggest time of persecution of Islamic Americans but they also go under the radar when other big groups come up that the Anglo-Saxons or the white Anglo-Saxons want to really persecute um, like the Irish. Is that just Uh, because they've flown under the, there just wasn't enough of a Muslim present? Um, And the largest period of time when they were coming into the U S are like one of the biggest increases of it was under president Lyndon Johnson. Um, and, uh, he, that was after they abolished immigration quotas for 
like where people are coming. Like, gotcha. So um, the the Middle East has always been an, a region where they want to limit the amount of immigrants coming in from it anyway. So it's harder for them to get in. Mm. Moving into that, you know, we've looked at anti-Irish. Um, uh, we'll we'll quickly quickly run through the 1890s real quick, just so that we can get time for the real meat of of the topic, which is modern day stuff involving uh, Islam in particular as a in religion Judaism. in Judaism. Um, but uh, you know, 1890s, um, a lot of immigrants from Eastern Europe were Jewish, fleeing pogroms. Um, the original position of wasps kind of putting Jewish Americans on a pedestal was changed um, into kind of more modern uh, anti-Semitism that we see today. Irish uh, anti-Catholic stuff became much more on the back burner, um, yet, you know, it's still present today. Uh, ever since, you know, for example, in the 18 or the 1960s, when uh, President Kennedy was running. He had to assure the American public that he was uh, an American first and a Catholic second. Um, so, you know, remember that that is a thing that these these persecutions die hard. They're very, very difficult to kill. And they're also um, exceedingly uh, inconsistent. Um, they, they can change and switch on a dime. Really, you know, Jack commented on it. The most consistent aspect of this, of these prejudices comes from which group is threatening the power structure of, um, the dominant majority group. Um, so Catholics in the 1840s, Jews in the 1890s, um, also Catholics as, as well. A lot of people in South, Southern Italy were Catholic. Um, and now today, and what we'll get to is, um, you know, uh, Muslim Americans, Islam, uh, real quick, just want to mention there was some religious tension in the 1970s with an influx of Vietnamese immigrants who were primarily Buddhist or Catholic. Um, so, you know, this is not just subject to Abrahamic religions. This is a feeling that often comes from, and we'll get into that, especially with Sikhism, um, and it's mistaken, identity with islam but uh jack do you want to talk about some of the modern day like problems um facing muslim americans and also i just want to say that i don't think either me or ty are going to say that we're an expert on um the vedic religions or like in like that there's i need to know learn more about that myself and i'm hoping to do that in the near future but um Regarding um, Muslim Americans, I think we all know where the big, you know, change in like really Islamophobia came is, of course, 9-11. Mm -hmm. But also before that with um, conflicts in the Middle East, like Operation um, Desert Storm um, in the Kuwait, uh, you know, crisis in Kuwait and Iraq and all that. So, um you know, with all that in the mind of Americans and um, also thinking about how now Islam is starting to, I guess, challenge the, in, the hegemony of the United States in the region or uh, of European influence in the region as now colonialism is starting to fade away. 
Would you say that uh, part of it is also that a lot of the, at least the Muslim people who are in um, Congress at this moment are primarily progressive? Yes. I would also say, like, for now, yes, absolutely. For, I would say, the birth of the true Islamic, like, Islamophobia in the United States, to me, this is my perspective on it. Mm -hmm. It really came due to the fact of the challenging of, like, the American empire's control over the rest of the world. I got you. And same thing with Europe's, you know, conflict with the Middle East and Africa and Asia now all removing those like bound or like being controlled by them now. And now they have at least, you know, there's still some neo, there's a lot of neocolonialism happening, but they're still now challenging that in Mm. like having their own identities again. So I think that's something to keep in mind is that when that power structure gets challenged, just as it did with Catholicism coming into the United States for the Irish, that there is a backlash from the, the, you know, generalized norm of what's been happening would you say and and to that point a lot of the catholics coming in participated in the growing labor rights movement in the united states i would say Uh, would you say that that's similar to how a lot of uh younger muslims are a little Mm -hmm. bit more progressive yeah okay um, and also to, to talk about that, I found an interesting survey from 2007 mm-hmm. from News uh, Newsweek talking about they, they interviewed non-Muslim Americans and they got percentages on just basic talks about it or like about Islam. So like the first question it, or like one of the first questions is that Muslims do not condone violence and 63% of them agreed with that statement. Mm-hmm. Um However, when it comes to the Quran does not condone violence, only 40% of Americans agreed with that and 28% um, disagree with that. Mm. Um, And um, another question on here is Muslim culture does not glorify suicide and 41% disagreed with that. Um, Mm. And another one is concerned about Islamic radicals and 54% disagree with that. But that's still a general 50-50 split in 2007, a couple of years following 9-11 over the fear of Muslim Americans being radicals or and like going to do something bad. Mm. With uh, – yeah, into that, um, I, have, I have some information about like – uh, in mid two thousand, in mid November two thousand six, it was reported that Keith Ellison, the first Muslim ever elected to the United States Congress, which keep that in mind, two thousand six. Like my uncle works for. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, there, yeah, uh, would take his oath of office as a representative of Miss Minnesota's fifth congressional district with his hand on the Quran. Um, you know. Is there any – what's the reason why there's such a, a heavy Muslim population in Minnesota? Is it the Somali immigrants? It's the Somalian immigrants. Yeah. If, if for everyone that doesn't know, there is a heavy – like Minnesota has one of the largest populations of Somali people outside of Somalia. Yeah. Due to – after the Somalian Civil War, Minnesota was the only – one of the only states that was open to immigration there. So they have a large community in the Twin Cities. Hmm. And also speaking on Keith Ellison elected, this on this Newsweek thing, it also says, would, would you vote for a qualified Muslim? Muslim for political office. It was a 50-50 split. 
Yeah, I mean, it's well, we have Mr. Dennis Prager um, of Prager U fame. Uh, he criticized the decision in a column titled America, not Keith Ellison decides what book a congressman takes his oath on, um, saying, quote, what Ellison and his Muslim and leftist supporters are saying is that it is of no consequence what Americans hold as its holy as their holiest book. All that matters is what an individual holds to be his holiest book, which personally um, as an American, uh, I'd say, yeah, that's the point, uh, freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, when you say, um, it is of no consequence, all that matters is what individual holds compared to what America thinks is its holy book. I would ask what makes up America individuals make up America. So it does not matter. Um, you know, I didn't know America was a human being, uh, with its own opinions. You know, I would love to meet them, um, go out for drinks sometime, uh, just see what's going on. But, uh, I thought it was a country made up of millions of people, but you know, that might just be my mistake. Um, and in response to that, we have another representative, um, Virgil H. Good from uh, Virginia, which of course it's from Virginia. Um, he wrote, when I raise my hand to take the oath on swearing in day, I will have the Bible in my other hand. I do not subscribe to using the Quran in any way. The Muslim representative from Minnesota was elected by the voters of that district. And if American citizens don't wake up and adopt the Virgil Good position on immigration, there will be likely many more Muslims elected to office and demanding the use of the Quran. I fear in the next century that we will have many more Muslims in the United States if we do not adopt the strict immigration policies that I believe are necessary to preserve the values and belief, beliefs traditional to the United States of America and to present to prevent our resources from being swamped. So, Jack, I want to ask you real quick, and we're, we're kind of running low on time here, but just just to get, you know, the, the idea in here, um, what do you think that common, um, you know, about fearing more Muslim immigration does. Um, so that's just part of a long line of very odd is like Islamophobia, um, in the U S and it's a misunderstanding of the fundamental like tenets of the history of Islam in general. Um, so and it, it goes along with a lot of the academic perspectives of Islam of the time or like some of the academic perspectives of the time. Mm-hmm. So like I'm going to mention historian Bernard Lewis, who um, taught Oriental studies, which is now an outdated term and has now been replaced by the Middle East and North African studies, regional studies concept. Um, and his expertise was in the history of Islam. And um, through this, he would debate other historians in the in like in that field about how he believes that Islam is not capable um, not able to exist in the 21st century peacefully, which this is, this was a common take among a lot of academics and a lot of, um, you know, large or large powerful figures is that Islam is not compatible with the 21st century. However, it's, that doesn't make any sense when there are Islamic documents specifically like the constitution of Medina, which was, put in place by the literal prophet of Muhammad that allowed religious diversity in the city of Medina. So um, it really was just a complete backlash to thinking that all Muslims were the sex of Muslims that 
committed 9-11 terrorist attacks, which is outrageous take by some, by yeah. people who are supposed to be leading the country and have a worldview that is beyond that of an average. Yeah, and I, and I would also argue, like, look at the crusading states or look at the states uh, pre-crusades and how lenient they were with religious pilgrims. Um, I mean, I guess they were taxed more, but like compared to other states, especially in Europe, being taxed more getting off real easy mm-hmm. um and it, we we can't talk about muslims uh in america without talking about Ilya and omar so like um someone who faces constant islamophobia in everything she does it truly is like the most obvious discrimination i've ever seen of a congresswoman i like like the the bobert things where she's like oh she had a backpack on blah 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 i'm like you are evil you are an evil woman and you're you're Husband has shown his genitals to children. So, like, I don't really want to hear you talk about anything involving that. She is like, and she she also has all this stuff about the federal government and takes, like, federal business loans for her failing uh, Second Amendment-themed business, but, like, whatever. Also, um, not only Muslims, but John Ossoff in his campaign um, against, what was his name, Purdue in Georgia, uh, showed ads where his nose was enlarged. And believe it or not, John Ossoff is a Jewish Man, very interesting. Very yeah, interesting. This is a wave of um, anti-Semitism, but yet a supreme support for the state of Israel, not which is an own subject, which we can do our own podcast. Yeah, we can do a whole when we are talk. Unfortunately, out yeah, of time. we are we are actually running out of time. We're but me mad because we could really, we, no, we could <laughs> open this can of worms on that, man. I mean, like that is it is honestly. Um, if we do a podcast together, we should have that conversation but anyway yeah stay tuned um you know if we were to sum it up real quick uh one minute closing statements at most um this is nothing new what we see today um the important thing is that we always keep our head on a swivel um america is not a uh christian country it has never been a Christian country. If somebody says that to you, they're trying to sell you a bag of goods. Um, they're trying to sell you on discrimination. Um, the dominant religious beliefs by those in power have almost always been used to um, suppress other opinions that are contradictory to their own power positions. And to before you make judgments about other people's faiths please do some research on it we are in the 21st century there are look at let's talk religion on youtube if you want to learn more about islam it's um before you make a comment about islam learn about what it is learn the tenets of it and just a general basic overview because i guarantee you a lot of people will be shocked by what they learned because it is not typically taught in schools there's a vested interest in political elites trying to demonize a religion of a billion people um so always keep your head on a swivel for that always question power and always question Uh, the person with the book in their hand trying to convince you that this is what their deity wanted. With that, thank you so much for listening. I know it got a little dry there at times, but this is a huge subject, a lot to talk about. Um, And please do some research. Let's talk religion. Great idea. But uh, anyway. Religion for breakfast as well. Religion for breakfast as well. Um, There's some Islamic YouTube channels, especially. um, It's highly relevant today. Um, 
and talk to talk to your local uh, your local mosque uh, with questions. And you know, if you have any questions, don't be uh, weird about it. Learn but more about is yeah, uh, like other religions also not Islamic. Like yeah. learn about Buddhism. Learn Sikhism about is is hyped. If you want to learn about a crazy religion, learn about Sikhism. Hinduism crazy in a good way. Yeah, crazy in a good way. Sikhs Sikhism is just an amazing. Anyway, that's all the time we have. The boys are out. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and with that, you know. Goodbye.